You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. God, that's in this building this morning. Every person that's watching or listening online. God, they've come into your house today. God, they've joined us uh, online today. God, I pray that your power and your spirit, God, would speak into their heart. Let the power and the authority of your word this morning, God, go deep uh, into our souls today. God, let each person reach out to you. God, for the strength and the love and the hope, uh, hallelujah, that they need this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God, you're after the few this morning. God, that's having a difficult time. Maybe to raise a hand this morning. Having a difficult time to take their hand out of their pocket. Hallelujah, Lord, to lift their eyes from this earth to you this morning. Unto the hills from whence cometh their help today. God, I pray for those few this morning, God. Hallelujah, that's having a difficult decision, God, to put their hope and trust and faith in you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thank the Lord for what I feel in the house of the Lord this morning. Oh, you may be seated. God bless you. Amen. Today, you worship and praise unto the Lord. Amen. My wife and I are glad to be home and to be with you. Amen. We have been watching the services online. And uh, there was different times we just sat there and, and wept as the services were happening in the presence of the Lord, we could feel the presence of the Lord right through the screen as we watched your, uh, as church happened here. And so we thank God for uh, the, the brother and sister Robertson and our whole team, all the ones that spoke while we were gone. Thank you for ministering the word of the Lord. Amen. What an absolute blessing it was. And what a treat it was to hear you minister the word of the Lord. And uh, do it so well. And I thank the Lord for our wonderful team. Amen. I thank the Lord that this is Youth Weekend. And uh, youth are a huge, huge component of our church. And uh, I thank the Lord for our young people. And uh, uh, young people is the life. It's the life. It really is the life of a church. And so I thank the Lord for our young people. And uh, for Brother and Sister Mills and their wonderful team that have organized this weekend and uh, allowed this to happen. And uh, so we're, we're just glad to be in the house of the Lord, home, and we're glad to be part of Youth Weekend. And uh, what a beautiful atmosphere of worship and praise that has just gone up. And uh, we are absolutely privileged to have with us Brother Daniel Bernard, and uh, he's uh, been ministering uh, Friday and Saturday, and what a powerful message that he ministered Friday night. Uh, it's interesting, you know, we were, we were driving, and we just called into the call-in line 
listened to church as we were driving. Didn't have any Wi-Fi there, but uh, we called into the service and, and, um, and listened to church as we were driving. Amen. What a beautiful opportunity. You, 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 there's no excuse to miss church. <laughs> I mean, you can have church where, whenever, wherever. And uh, what a powerful message uh, Friday night, Brother Bernard. And, uh, of course, um, uh, we're, we're so blessed. Uh, you heard his resume and, and his story as it was introduced on Friday night. And uh, we are blessed at Mission Point to have this man of God. And, uh, of course, his wife and his kids are not able to be here this time, but we will we'll try to arrange that for another time. Brother Bernard, come and minister the word of the Lord to us this morning. Would you welcome him as he ministers God's word today? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Carter. I'm so thankful to be here, as I would say, with y'all, but I think maybe it's with use, use guys. I, I don't know. I'm trying to, trying to catch, catch up with that. Um, I, I'm thankful to be in, uh, in St. John, and I am, um, I'm a Texan living in uh, St. Louis, visiting Canada, so I'm a little far out of my, out of my depth this morning, but I, uh, you know, I've made it a practice as I've been uh, everything from the Toronto airport when I order some food, and if I get fries, they ask, do you want gravy with that? And so I say, yes, I do want gravy with that. If you don't know, you know, poutine and gravy is not a thing in the States, so uh, getting gravy with fries is kind of a, a new thing, and so I just say yes. Every time it's offered, I just say yes. So um, I guess it's kind of like asking to get something uh, mega-sized or biggie-sized or something in the States, right? So, uh, but I'm thankful to be here. I'm, uh, I hate my family can't be with me. Um, I have a, a wife and two daughters. I've got a picture of them, though. Um, that's my wife, Kaylee, and our two daughters. We call them our two tiny tornadoes. And I know they look sweet, but both of them, our hands are around them because they're trying to escape, Okay. <laughs> I know it looks like a, a affectionate hug, but it's really, it's, a, it's a caging them in because they're wild. Uh, I think Elise, our little one, sees like a bird she's about to chase, literally in this picture. So that's the picture we have, and that's the story I'm sticking to, is they're wonderful. No, I, I, I love my daughters and my wife, and I wish that they could uh, be with me today. Uh, but man, I've just had such incredible hospitality this weekend from the entire youth team. Y'all have welcomed me, and it's been such an incredible um, time. Can you give it up for your youth team one more time? They've just done an incredible job this weekend great youth department, and it's always uh, wonderful to see uh, churches that invest in their young people, that believe in their young people, so thank you for, uh, for investing and trusting in, in your young people. And I, um, I'm going to move uh, quickly today, and let me just say that uh, what I have to share, I believe, is, is vitally important for all of us, but I believe is urgent for several. And I'm going to read a, a key passage uh, this morning from Exodus chapter 14 and verse 4. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Exodus 14 and 4 as kind of my key text, and then I'm going to uh, move around a lot through the scripture this morning. But I'm um, reading in the New Living Translation. It reads like this, Exodus 14, 4. And once again, this is God speaking to Moses, after, to the Israelite people after they've been freed from Egyptian bondage. He says, once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. My message titled this morning is what to do in the desert. What to do in the desert. Now, I want to take you on a journey with the Israelites, the people of God. 
And if you give me just a little bit of time, I want to show you from a bird's eye view what is happening around this passage because I believe that this morning there are people that you find yourself in a desert. Now, the people of Israel were in a literal desert, but I believe we can find ourselves in all types of deserts. Maybe this morning you're a guest, and if you're a guest here this morning, you're in good company. I'm a guest here. I come so far once every five years I come to this church. I was here in 2017. But if you're a guest, welcome. We're, you're in good company this morning. And maybe you're here uh, curious about the things of God. Maybe church is not a, a regular visit for you, and so you're curious. And I would dare say that you may be in a spiritual desert, not really sure what to do. You don't have any landmarks. You don't have any frame of reference. You're not really sure where you are or what's happening. But I want you to know that God sees exactly where you are this morning. If you're new here today, let me just say at the outset that we serve a living God. We serve a God that can save you. We serve a God that can deliver you. You can be filled with the miraculous power of God. You can be filled with his spirit this morning. You can be baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of all your sins. That can happen today. For others of us, maybe church is a familiar place for you, but you find yourself in a desert of your circumstance. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I, I've come to church, but, but many times I don't feel God's presence, or I don't know why I'm having to go through this season of my life. Maybe you're going through a difficult time, and maybe your family, and you're left wondering, God, why is this happening? Why have you allowed this desert to befall my life? Maybe you're in a desert of financial uh, situation. Maybe it's a job situation. Whatever the case may be, I could go on and on, and I, I probably still couldn't cover every potential desert, but I believe this morning there are people that find themselves in a desert. And if you're like me, sometimes I make the mistake of, of zeroing in on a, a single verse or a single chapter or just a, a very small portion of Scripture, and so I just kind of uh, lock in. But today I want to kind of just take a step back, and I want to look at uh, the people of Israel and their journey through the wilderness, and I believe that we can learn some things for our life. And so, uh, don't be afraid, but I'm going to preach through three books of the Bible this morning. Uh, but that's not an indication of the length of my message, trust me. We're going to move really quick. I'm going to talk fast and move quick, and I hope that's okay. But what we see is that the Israelites are really parallel to us as the people of God. Uh, and so, I think we will find ourselves in the Israelites' journey through the desert and the wilderness. So, uh, what we see in Exodus chapter 6, if we were to rewind from our key text, we see that God promises Moses that he will deliver them from Egyptian bondage. He says, I, I've given you this promise. In Exodus 7, we see that Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, the ruler. Uh, this is the story where the staff turns into a serpent and God sends a plague of turning water into blood. God is beginning to do miraculous things on behalf of his people to get them out of bondage. Exodus chapter 8, you can read there's a plague of frogs, there's a plague of gnats, there's a plague of flies. Exodus chapter 9, there's a plague against livestock, a plague of boils, a plague of hail. Exodus 10, a plague of locusts, a plague of darkness. Exodus chapter 12, we see the first Passover, the angel of death on Egypt. And in Exodus 12, 29, the Lord strikes down all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And then in verse 31, Pharaoh tells Moses to take all this people and go. And the Egyptians even urged the Israelites to get out before they all died. If you read, you understand that Israel had been in bondage for 430 years under Egyptian bondage. But now they have been miraculously freed by the power of God. So let me say at the outset, again, we could take so much time I could preach any one of those chapters. 
I could preach any one of those stories and come away with the same point that if God's people follow after him, if they will trust in him, if they will believe the word of God, there is no dungeon that God cannot deliver you from. There is no addiction that God cannot pull you out of. There is no depression that God cannot free you from. Let me just tell somebody that the same God that we read about in this book that has saved his people time and time again is the exact same God that's at work here today in this sanctuary. And if you don't know him today, you can leave this place knowing that saving God knowing that miraculous God is there anybody that has been saved by the power of God here today amen Amen. so we continue reading now the people have been freed and so we would say okay they've been freed now things should get really good they're out of bondage this is amazing God has done all these wonderful things and in fact it does get amazing Exodus chapter 13 this Bible says that God led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Wouldn't that be nice to wake up and say, you know what, God, where do you want me to go today? And a cloud just forms right in front of your house and you just follow the cloud. Hey, this is great. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do today. It's amazing, though. The miracles continue even after they've been delivered. God literally leads them where they're supposed to go. And then Exodus 14, our key text, God tells Moses that he's going to change Pharaoh's mind. He said, I'm going to harden his heart. And they're going to pursue you, but, but don't worry, this is all within my plan. So here we see the people uh, see the Egyptians bearing down on them. Their back is up against an ocean they can't cross, a sea they can't cross. And the, the Egyptians are coming with 600 chariots. And Moses says, watch what God is going to do. This is the parting of the Red Sea. Yet another miracle. They walk through on dry ground and that same sea swallows up the Egyptians. It's amazing. Again, any one of these stories is a sermon within itself. I could preach for 45 minutes on any story in this passage. But look in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15 contains a song written by Moses and the people unto God, thanking him for deliverance. But later in that chapter, look what we find. Exodus 15, verse 24. Now keep in mind, everything I've told you just happened. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you'll listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, if you'll do what's right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping his decrees, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Here God gives the people a little test, but then he gives them an amazing promise. Listen to me, follow after me, and I will heal you. Yet another miraculous reminder of the power of God. Now, this is an interesting contrast in the attitude of the people of Israel that we've just seen. And what we see here is the beginning of a pattern that's going to continue to unfold in the hearts of the people of Israel. Exodus chapter six, you can, uh, 16, you can read the whole thing. Guess what we see? Another incredible, miraculous move of God. But yet it also contains complaining, whining, disobedience, frustration. The chapter starts by explaining they were continuing into the journey of the wilderness. It was the 15th day of the second month since departing Egypt. I know I'm moving quick. Are you okay? I'm sorry to the interpreter. I know I'm moving really fast this morning. But I'm trying to give us a a bigger picture of what's happening. I'm trying to just show us the expansiveness of the power of God in the people of Israel. But verse 2 of Exodus 16, it says this. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. 
if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Look, they begin to escalate their frustrations. First, they were asking why. Now, they're pushing it to the next level. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. There, we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now, you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. So God says, fine, I'm going to rain down food on you. So he rains down quail and from the sky and then manna, which the Bible describes as light as snowflakes. It's amazing. He tells them, just get what you need. Don't try to hoard it. I'll provide more tomorrow. They, of course, they don't listen. They try to get too much. They wake up and it's full of maggots. He, every time he gives them an instruction, a miracle, they just don't listen. You know, the desert will make you do crazy things. You know, desert seasons make us distrust the ones we should trust. I don't know if you've ever seen this to be true in your life, but sometimes desert seasons can distort our perception. I could talk about mirages and all the things that, that you find in the desert, but I'm not going to take the time. I think you understand. But we have to realize that a desert season, a wilderness season in our life has the potential to distort the things that we should and need to see the most clearly. The desert makes people do crazy things. So again, we see this pattern. God does something amazing in the wilderness, but yet they keep complaining, they keep disobeying, they keep murmuring, they're frustrated. I'll give you one guess what type of situation we find in Exodus chapter 17. Yes, the pattern continues. They keep moving and they camp at a place where there's little water, and guess what? They complain again. Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? Moses says, God, what am I supposed to do? God says, strike a rock and then water will come out for them to drink. Exodus 17, verse 7, Moses named this place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, look what they're saying now, is the Lord here with us or not? First, they're frustrated. Then they say, we might as well just kill us back in Egypt. Now, they're, they're questioning, even though Moses literally just struck a rock and water comes out of it, and yet their response is, is God here with us or not? Very interesting. We see the Amalekites attack in the same chapter. Israel defeats them in an amazing battle. This is the story where as long as Moses' hands were held up by Aaron and uh, Joshua, the, the army, and Aaron and her, Joshua and the army had the victory of the enemy. Again, I could just preach that story. It's absolutely incredible. Exodus 19, God speaks to Moses on a mountain. He says, Moses, you know I'm powerful. If you obey me and keep my covenant, I'll make this nation a special treasure among all people. God is literally sowing promise after promise. He's sowing his, their future, declarations, their identity. So Moses tells the people, and they say, oh, we'll, we'll do it. We'll listen to God. God brings Moses on a mountaintop, speaks to him, and the people see lightning and thunder. Amazing, amazing things. Exodus 24, God calls Moses on a mountain to receive the tablets of stone on which he had inscribed the commandments. Moses goes up into the, the mountain summit, and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights, and they see it like a consuming fire. From Exodus 24 to 32, God is just giving them the literal plans on what to do and how to live. He's just pouring knowledge and future and planning into his people. But then we get to Exodus 32, a key chapter, a pivotal chapter. Exodus 32, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters, bring them to me. 
All the people took the gold uh, rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking. They indulged in pagan revelry. So now, after reading all of that, after fast-forwarding through almost the whole book of Exodus, as we see the, the expansiveness of the miracles of God, the power of God, all these amazing things, I find myself reading Exodus 32 and asking this question, how could this happen? How could these people see all of these things and yet come to this conclusion where they turn their back on God completely? Let me just recap for you in case you kind of dozed off a minute through that kind of introduction. We got supernatural signs. We got plagues in Egypt to get them out. We got a pillar of cloud. We got a pillar of fire, parting of the Red Sea, swallowing up the Egyptians, turning the bitter water sweet, quail and manna from the sky, water from a rock, the amazing defeat of the Amalekites, God's mighty power on the mountaintop speaking, God taking Moses into the mountain like a consuming fire. So how, after all of that, could they possibly turn away from God? What on earth would cause them to act this way? What would make them do this in the desert? Literally at every point, God is blessing them and giving them promises and direction and, and telling them all kinds of wonderful things, but they do nothing but complain. No matter how many times God works miracles, they respond with unbelief and their faith fades quickly in the desert. Why do I read all that this morning? Because the truth is, I think I find myself in this story. Because God has done some amazing things on my behalf. But if I'm being honest, when I get in a difficult situation, I easily turn away from all the things that God has done. My perspective is easily twisted. My perspective is easily distorted. When I get into a difficult circumstance, all of a sudden the things that God has done just seem to fade away. And maybe this morning you may find yourself in a circumstance. If I were to ask you to write down on the piece of paper some of the things that God has done for you, you could do a lot. But yet today you find yourself and you're frustrated and you're angry. And so the question is, how can we see ourselves in this story and say, you know what? I know that God has done some stuff, but I'm just, I'm disconnected. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I'm here in the desert. I'm here in the wilderness. Why is this happening? Here's the reality. Here's the contrast. As I studied this, I came to this realization that brought such clarity to the entire plight of the Israelite people. And it resonates so strongly in me today. And I believe many people in this room because you may not even feel close to God, but you may be frustrated at God. Why? Here's the reality of the people of Israel. The first thing I want to tell you today. What God meant as preparation, the Israelites saw as punishment. What God intended as preparation for the people of Israel, they never saw as such. They only saw punishment on their life. So uh, when, when we see that God is doing, trying to do things in their life, they don't have the ability to receive it because they can't see it in the proper perspective. Let me tell somebody today, you may be frustrated because you're in a desert, but you know what? Your deliverance may look like a desert. What do we expect? We expect 
God to fix things and for everything to be amazing. We want to go from bondage to an oasis. We want to go from a difficult circumstance to wonderful things. Because what we see, we twist the gospel, we twist the scripture to say, you know what, God, you're going to get me. Once I get out of this problem, once I get through this thing, once I get through the situation, everything's going to smooth out. So what do you do when you get through a situation, but yet what you walk into is a desert? What happens to your faith when you go from a difficulty to a desert? What happens to your faith when you go from a great Sunday to a terrible Monday? What happens to your perspective, your walk with God? Or even if you're trying to understand more about God, what happens when, when you go through a difficult circumstance? Do you point at God and say, why did you do this? Why are you punishing me? In fact, before uh, the Israelites even went into the desert, God told them, he said, you know, there's a more direct route to the promised land. He said, but if I, I'm afraid if I take you that way and you get into a battle too quickly, you'll turn back and go to Egypt. God told him, I've got to take you through the desert so that when you come to the promised land, you'll be ready to receive it. But no matter what God did, they only saw their desert as punishment. So because they saw everything through the lens of them being punished by God, it didn't matter what God did. And I'm afraid that we come to the same point in our life and God is trying to do things to prepare us. God is trying to work things within us but it's painful. And so if we don't see God in the right way, all we see is punishment. Why are you doing this to me? Why am I having to go through this? This is painful. Let's rewind to our, our key text. Again, we see that God allows the Egyptians to pursue them. In chapter 14, he tells Moses, I planned this to display my glory through Pharaoh. And what I love about this is basically God says to Moses, Moses, I know this attack is coming. I know your back is against the wall. I know you can't move. I know it's impossible. And that's the point. I've orchestrated this. Even in this, there is a purpose. I'm going to allow them to come. I'm going to allow them to get within an inch of you and then provide a way of escape that you can never do on your own. I'm going to show up in a miraculous way. I'm going to turn an impossible situation into a way of escape for you. So let me just bring this into our life today because this is the, the thing that I see with many born-again Christians, many people that are walking after God. Maybe this is you today. You feel like you're doing all the right things. You feel like you're trying to live the way God wants you to live. You feel like you're trying to make good choices. But every time you look over your shoulder, you feel like your past is chasing you. You feel like you just can't get away from a situation, a circumstance, a person. And so that, that, that thing that's chasing you gives you doubt in your mind. Is God real? And then in front of you, you see impossibility. God, I don't know how I'm going to move forward, and it looks like this thing is catching up with me. But let me just give you a little bit of faith this morning, because if I read the story of the Red Sea, this is what I understand. The reason that God is allowing some things to pursue you in your life is so that, number one, he can open up a way of escape for you to walk through a situation. Somebody, you may be in a situation you don't understand. My answer would be trust God and be obedient. And at the right time, he's going to open up what may look like an insurmountable obstacle. He's going to open a way for you to walk walk through but not only that the reason why some things are chasing you is because at the right time they're going to be swallowed up in the sea behind you so somebody today you may be frustrated about your past but I believe today you're going to walk out of this place and that will never bother you again so don't look behind you don't spend all your time looking in the rearview mirror just trust God and move forward Amen. you're not being punished you're being prepared you're not being punished you're being prepared 
I believe that today what once held someone bondage in the past will never follow you again because God's going to swallow it up in the depths of the sea. I'm telling somebody today, hear me. You are frustrated at God. You are angry because of a circumstance. And I'm not saying what you're going through is not difficult because it is difficult. I'm not here to say, oh, everything's going to be fine. In fact, I understand that you may leave this place after a time of prayer you may leave this place feeling good in God, and you may go back to the exact same difficulty, and it's going to be exactly the same as it was when you got here. I recognize that. I'm not saying we don't go through things. What I'm saying is it's not God's punishment over you that even in the darkest circumstance, God can use it to prepare you for what he has next. So, sir, ma'am, let me just tell you today, you are not being punished by God. Maybe you prayed on the way here. God, let me just feel something because I feel like I'm being punished. And maybe you would articulate a little bit differently, but let me just tell somebody, you are not being punished by God. You are being prepared for what he has in store. I'm going to say it again. you got to understand this morning, God is not punishing you. God is not trying to destroy you. God is trying to strengthen you. Why? Because he has good things in store for you. Why? Because he can see the future he has planned for you. All you may see is a desert, but if you just keep trusting God, he's got something on the other side of this. But you got to understand, God, I'm not being punished. I'm being prepared. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. But God's not done with you. God is preparing you. You're not being punished. You're being prepared. Over and over, they asked the question, why were we brought out of Egypt? They even asked to return. How could they feel like that? How could they possibly see it like that? I realize this, when you have an improper perspective, when you see what God is doing as punishment, you may desire the thing that once held you bound. Because the desert God may have you in, it's very uncomfortable. It's very difficult. And even though you know that there are many things that are not good for you, you know what they are? They're comfortable. You know they're not good for you long term, but they have their own twisted sort of comfort. The Israelites, they said, you know what? It's so difficult out here in the wilderness. At least in Egypt, we sat around pots filled with meat. We had this thing. And if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, but you were bound. But you were in bondage. But you weren't free. But when you have an improper perspective on God, it'll twist everything in your life. And we see this come to a head in chapter 32 to the extreme that the people completely turned their back on God because they thought they were being punished in the desert. And look carefully. It's not because things were bad. It's not because God wasn't doing what he said he would do. It's not because God went back on his word. Why? They got upset because it was taking too long. If you don't trust the plans of God for your life, the first thing you'll begin to distrust is God's timeline. Somebody today... You're frustrated. These people knew the promises of God. They had been, it had been sown into them in the wilderness. They knew the promises of God. You'll be my people. I'll make this nation a special treasure. If you listen to my voice, if you heed my commandments. They knew all of those things. But you know what they got frustrated in? This is taking too long. I'm tired of waiting for the blessings to come. And so they saw Moses go on the mountain. It wasn't a mystery, but because they saw punishment instead of preparation, they took the timeline into their own hands and ruined everything. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. You know, when I was growing up, we used to sing a song. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And it said, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Anyone ever heard that song? 
He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. I need to tell somebody today that you may be frustrated and you may feel like things aren't going the way that you want them to go and you may feel like you're, you are being faithful to God, but let me just tell somebody today, maybe you need to put yourself back in the timeline of God and say, you know what, God, I got a little impatient. I got ahead of your will. I tried to take matters into my own hands, but today, Lord, I'm stepping back into the timeline that you have. It may not be happening when I want it to be. It may be a little slower than I would desire, but Lord, more than I want my will and my comfort, I want your will to be done in my life. Somebody today, Maybe you need to put yourself back in the timeline of God. You know why? Because you cannot separate the plan of God from the process of God. Many of us want to see the plan of God come to pass, but we don't want to go through the process that it takes to get there. We want it to happen now. Maybe the reason that you're messed up in your life is not because God has changed or even changed his mind about you or changed his plan concerning you or your life. You just didn't want to wait. You keep going back to your bad habits because you're not patient enough to wait on God to come through when you exhibit good habits. You keep going back to that bad relationship because you don't see the immediate benefits of what God has for you. You keep sacrificing your relationship with God, your consecration for validation. You want to be validated more by the world than by God. Let me say it this way. Somebody needs to stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now. You need to stop sacrificing what you know is right for something that is just available right now. Because the enemy will always say, you can have everything God wants you to have right now. But God says, that's not the way my kingdom works. If you want to have everything I've promised you, you've got to be patient. You've got to do it my way. And we don't like that. We want all of it now. We want all the blessings now. We want all the good things now. So Israel said, you know what? We're going to make our own God right now because it's taking too long. And they turned their back on God. But somebody, I believe, can understand what they just could not understand, and that is this. God is not punishing you. This desert you find yourself in today, this wilderness that you feel like you're in, is not God's punishment upon you, yet it's his way of preparing you for what's next. Because without going through the desert, you wouldn't have the strength to take what God has promised you. So what's the difference between preparation and punishment? How can we see this? How can we understand this? Why did they see punishment, not preparation? And why do we see things that way? How can I avoid it? How can I fix it? The missing ingredient, it's so simple to say, it's so hard to really live out, it's faith. Faith is knowing that God knows what he's doing. Faith keeps you dedicated to the course. Faith is so important because we can't see exactly where God is taking us. We have to have faith. In other areas of life, preparation is easy to understand and respond to accordingly because we know the outcome. A player on a basketball team understands this. I played basketball some and junior high and high school, and the team comes to practice and the coach begins barking orders. He says, everyone on the baseline, we're going to run suicides. If you play basketball, that term just sends a shiver down your spine because you know how terrible it is. If you don't know, it's just lots of running. Pointless, terrible, awful, it's just running, okay? It's awful. But, but he says, we're going to run. Now, if a player sees this as punishment, it's going to affect the way he does every exercise. Because if he thinks it's punishment, he's going to do the very least. He's going to just get by. But the driven athlete knows that at the end of the week, there's a game. At the end of the season, there's a championship. If he knows the goal, if he knows where he's going, he's not going to see those things as punishment. He's going to know that they're preparation. On top of that, even things that feel like punishment, he embraces. Why? Because he knows that it's strengthening him. So all of a sudden, with this renewed understanding of the goal, he's not begging to leave practice. He's begging to stay. 
He wants more preparation. He wants to run more. He begs for more drills. He embraces the pain of change because he's pursuing the outcome that's waiting for him. So what am I saying? I think somebody, you may have come in here, and if I were to be able to uh, speak out what your mind and your spirit was feeling. Maybe you came in here saying, oh God, the devil has just been bothering me. The devil has just been pursuing me. He's just been tormenting me. I just, please, I just wanted to go away. I want to just live another day. Please, God, allow me to stop going through this torment. But I believe, not because your circumstances are going to change, but I believe if you have a proper perspective, you can leave this place with your head held high. In fact, going back to your place of work, going back to that situation that's difficult, and you can say, you know what, devil? Why don't you do your worst? Because you think that you're destroying me, but I understand that even in what you're trying to do, God is preparing me. So what you meant for evil, God can use it for good. I know you've got difficulty, but if you understand that God is preparing you, you can say, oh, Okay, do your worst because it's making me stronger. Go ahead and tempt me because with God I can do anything. I can survive this. I can get through this. I can get stronger through this. You may be frustrated, but I want you to shift your perspective. Why? Because God is not punishing you. He's preparing you. You're being prepared. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So somebody, hear me now. I believe somebody needs to open up the filing cabinet of your memory and begin relabeling some things. I want to talk to someone for a moment that you've experienced some pain in your life and it still affects your perspective today. Some things that were said to you, some things that were done to you, some things that that happened to you, you had no control. But let me just say this. I believe that with the help of God, you can take that, that, almost like a file filled with memories, you can take that file and you can scratch out that, that label of pain and you can rewrite a label that says preparation. And you've been dragging around this, this, this file full of things that we feel like is pain and, and it just causes frustration, but if you can just begin to see a little bit of what God has planned for you, and maybe you've come through the other side of it and maybe now you can say and you can testify, you know what, it was so painful, it was the worst thing of my life, but now I can see how God was even using that thing, even though it was evil, even though it was terrible, and yet here I am today, I'm standing by the grace of God, and I can now say that that was a strengthening to me, but somebody, you're not there yet, so you can't quite see it, So let me just give you a little encouragement that those things that are painful, yes, I know they're painful. But even in your most painful seasons of life, God can use it to prepare you for what he has next. So just hold on. Don't quit right now because one day it's not just going to be pain. You're going to say, yeah, it was painful, but it wasn't pain. It was preparation. God was using it because God is still using me. I'm calling to somebody going through some pain today. I know you don't want to respond, but I'm reaching for you today because God sees exactly where you are. But if all you see is punishment, you'll leave this place frustrated. But if you can begin to open your eyes and say, maybe, just maybe, God is even in this season. Maybe, just maybe, God is still working. Maybe, just maybe, God hasn't given up on me. Somebody needs to understand, you are being prepared for what's next. God does have promises for you. You will see them come to pass. But you got to go through some painful preparation. God is preparing you. So we jump back to Exodus 32. The people turn, turn away from God. Moses comes down the mountain. He sees this. He breaks the tablets. He has to go again and correct the people. We go through the book of Leviticus, which is all about instruction. The book of Numbers, they keep moving through the wilderness, complaining the whole way. 
Then we come to a pivotal chapter in Numbers 13. They're at the promised land. They've made it. They've arrived. Let's see what, let's see what unfolds. Numbers 13. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So the men go and they scout the land. They bring back a report. They say, oh, it's amazing. We entered the land. It's incredible flowing with milk and honey. But the people are huge and, and they're giants. I talked about this some on Friday night. Verse 30, Caleb, he tried to quiet the people. He said, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But look here, verse 31, but the other men who explored the land disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. We were grasshoppers. They thought we were grasshoppers. Numbers 14, the New Living Translation, the title of this chapter is The People Rebel. Then the whole community, Numbers 14, verse 1, the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So here we see the consequences of their actions. And that brought me to a second realization. How can they look at this land of promise? This is what they've been preparing for. God has literally told them this land is for you. How can they look at this? that they've been journeying for, how can they look at it now and say there's no way we can conquer it? And this is the second realization that I had about the people of Israel that I think we struggle with in our life, in our desert seasons. Since they saw their punishment, since they saw punishment instead of preparation, they saw their desert as a sentence and not a season. If they would have understood that the desert was God's preparation, they would have realized it was just a season of their life. But since they perceived their desert as punishment, they resigned themselves to the fact that it was also their sentence. If they could have only seen it as a season of life, they could have learned the lessons that season offered. And in our life, if we see our desert, our wilderness, our difficult seasons in the wrong way, we don't learn any of the lessons God is trying to teach us in them because we're just frustrated. Every lesson he's trying to teach, we're angry, we're frustrated, we point the finger back at God. And yet time and time again, he's trying to shape us. He's trying to mold us, he's trying to help us. And the people of Israel, he's trying to show them, this is what you need, you gotta strengthen yourself. You gotta strengthen yourself because he knows there's giants ahead. He knows there's difficulty ahead. But he said, look, I'm gonna bring all these things to pass. I'm gonna bring water from a rock and you're gonna defeat the Amalekites. I'm trying to show you that no matter what, when you're with me, you can conquer anything. But yet when they get to this point, because this whole time they've ignored it, this whole time they've refused it, this whole time they haven't seen what God is trying to do, when they're finally at the promises of God, what do they say? Let's go back. So they find themselves in a place where God has promised them. But instead of preparation, they saw punishment. So instead of a season of life with an expiration date, they saw a sentence that they were serving. And because of their disobedience and refusal of God's promises, by their own hand, it did in fact become their sentence.
we see the response of God at the end of Numbers 14. You can read the chapter, but he basically says, fine, since you have no faith, you've taken the faith out of the equation, you've complained against me, you won't take the land I've told you. Everyone from this generation, 20 and up, will wander the wilderness for the rest of your life. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who said, we can take the land. So what was meant to be a season, what was meant to be preparation, turned into exactly what they thought, punishment and a sentence. Not because of what God did, not because of God's plan, not because of God's will, but in spite of it. Their refusal to listen to God resulted in them doing the exact thing they accused God of doing. At that point, it was too late for those Israelites who had rebelled against God. They had decided their own fate. But I bring this to you today. I understand this is a solemn message, a solemn word, but I bring this today because I believe that someone is going to make a change in their perspective today. I believe that someone is going to have a turning point in your life today, not because your circumstances automatically get better, not because you come out of your desert, but because your perspective shifts in a way that you can say, I have been frustrated for far too long. I've been in this season for far too long, and I've been thinking that this is a sentence of my life. I've been thinking I'm going to be stuck here forever, but I'm here to declare somebody today that you are just going through a season of your life, and just how you've come into that desert, there's going to be a time when God appoints it to be so that you're going to come out of that desert and you're going to realize the thing that God has for you. But if all you see is punishment and all you see is a sentence, then you're going to turn away when God does try to bless you because you're going to be so disconnected from him. I'm trying to get somebody to wake up in their spirit today and say, you got to stay connected to God even when you're frustrated. Even in a desert, you got to say, oh God, I may not see what you're doing now, but I'm going to trust. I may not understand how you're going to work this out, but I'm going to keep on moving. And when the time comes, I'm going to say, yes, I still have promises made for me. Yes, I still have good things in my life. Yes, God is still good. Yes, God can still work, even in the desert. Why? Because it's not a sentence. It's just a season. The season you're in is not a life sentence. You are not bound by your mistakes forever. You are not stuck in an endless desert of depression and loneliness. Your brokenness is not permanent. What you are going through is not God's punishment upon you. It's God's way of preparing you for the future he has in store. God is not punishing you with a sentence. He's just preparing you for a season. Will you stand with me today as the musicians come? You may be going through a desert today, but it's just a season. And again, let me just, let me just back up a little bit and just speak to those maybe that this is a new experience, or you're a guest here today, or this is new, and you may say, why are you so passionate? You are, you know, you're this crazy Texan that you're just screaming at me. What, what, are, you, what are you saying? Why are you so passionate? I'm so passionate because I look at the word of God, and you know who I see in this ancient text? I see me. I see myself. I see my journey, and I see times when God has blessed me. God has given me breath. God has given me life. God has given me a beautiful family. And yet times when I've been frustrated at him and angry with him. And so I'm so passionate about this today because I believe that somebody, God has blessed you. God is trying to speak to you. God is trying to work in your life. And yet you're frustrated and you reject him, not because he's not working, not because he's not good, but for a couple of reasons. One, maybe like the Israelites, you think it's taking too long. God, when am I going to see these good things I, I, get, I hear preached about. I hear preaching about how you're so wonderful and you're so good and you're merciful and you give blessings to your people and I, I, I don't see it. To you I say, wait on the Lord at the right time. You don't see everything. I told this to the students yesterday, but this is one thing I've learned about faith. I heard this and it stuck with me. 
God will always make it clear enough for you to take your next step, but always foggy enough to require faith. What we want is we want to see the whole path. Show me where I'm going. God says, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. Because if I showed you the whole path, you would take matters into your own hands. But the truth is, today, somebody, you're frustrated. You're upset. Maybe you're upset with God. You don't know him. And you're like, I'm here today, but I don't really know God. Today is your day. I'm here to tell you that God wants to speak to you, even in a difficult season. Maybe something has happened to your life that's kept you away from the the church of God, the people of God. Maybe you find yourself today, you've come back to church, and you're still kind of curious, but you've been hurt. Maybe hurt in this very church. Maybe hurt by someone in a church somewhere else. Maybe hurt by the people that you felt like should have helped you. I understand that. That happens. That's life. It's a desert, but it's not a life sentence. You can be healed. You can be whole. You can be made new. And I believe it starts with your perspective shifting about God. I'm speaking to somebody today that you've experienced some pain in your life. And let me say this. Your prayer has been this. God, take this pain away. Please take this pain from me and he hasn't done it and you're angry maybe it's physical pain maybe it's emotional pain maybe it's mental pain maybe it's something in your past and your prayer has been God please deliver me from pain heal me of pain take this pain away and that's a good prayer I'm not saying don't pray that prayer I believe that God can heal God can do it today if you have a something in your body God can heal you today but what if he doesn't decide to to you I say maybe your prayer needs to be God heal my pain But if it's not your will to heal my pain, show me your purpose in this pain. Because some people, this is difficult to say, it's difficult to preach, it's difficult to believe, but God's will is for you to walk through this journey, this desert journey that you have in this life, but he has a purpose in your pain. So today I'm calling on somebody to shift your perspective and stop just praying, oh God, please take it, take it, take it. Because God said, I'm not trying to take it away. I'm trying to grow you through it. I'm trying to show you my will through it. And someone today, you feel like you're serving a life sentence, maybe for a mistake that you made. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be used by God. I don't deserve a relationship with God. To you, I say the pain you experience, what you're going through, it's just a season. You will come out of that season. You will come out of that season. So this morning, I would like to open these altars. I would like to open these altars. And can we begin to shift our prayers a little bit? I would invite you to come down. If you want to come down, if you want us to pray, the ministry team to pray with you this morning, if you want to come down and kneel at this altar, I encourage you to do so. But today, I think we need to pray. God, let me not get so twisted in my perspective and see the things that you're doing as punishment upon my life. But God, let me see that you're preparing me for what you have in store. And I'm calling on someone that's dealing with pain in your body, in your mind, in your spirit. Yes, we can pray that God can remove your pain. But even if he doesn't, let our prayer be, God, show me your purpose even through my pain. If I have to experience this, God, let me let me see your will at work through it. Somebody, you are not being punished this morning. You are being prepared. But if you don't see it and you don't use this time right, you're going to miss what God has for you. So I'm calling out to you to pray this morning. Maybe if you want to bow your head right where you are, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to kneel in your pew, that's fine. I just encourage you, respond to the word of God today. Not my word, but the word of God, because the word of God will live forever. The word of God will take us where we need to go. So this morning, can we respond to his word?
I know you've experienced pain, but God's preparing you. God is still using you. God's not done with you. God is real, and he loves you, and he wants relationship with you. But if you don't understand, if you have the wrong perspective, you'll miss him at work. Can we pray this morning? I'm calling you. I'm calling you to come and pray. Let's spend some time in prayer, church. Let's spend some time in prayer and seek the face of God because God is not punishing us with a sentence. He's preparing us for a season. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.